you don't have to learn to trade alone. Welcome to the Trading Lifestyle Podcast, where we interview professional currency traders and industry experts who can help you improve your trading and your life. And now, your host, Hugh Kimura. Before we get started, remember that trading is risky and you could lose all of your investment. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not trading, tax, or investment advice of any kind. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Hello, traders, and welcome to another episode of the Trading Lifestyle Podcast. My name is Hugh Kimura, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Justin Hertzberg, the CEO of Forest Park FX. Forest Park is an introducing broker, and if you don't know what that means, basically a client comes to them asking them, what's the best broker for me? And based on their knowledge of the industry, they give them a recommendation on what broker they should be using. Now, I know what you're thinking at this point because I was thinking the exact same thing when they emailed me. I actually get a fair number of requests from brokers asking to be on the podcast or to submit a guest post to the blog. And I've turned all of them down except for DarwinX and these guys um, because, you know, most brokers are just going to come on here and talk about, oh, we have the lowest spreads. Uh, we have the best customer service, blah, 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 right? But in this case, Force Park FX has some interesting relationships with CTAs. So if you want to become a money manager or you're thinking about becoming a money manager, this is a good conversation to listen into. We get into what it takes to become a CTA, why you might want to do it, and some of the rules and regs. Obviously, this podcast is for educational purposes only, and it's not legal advice, but it does provide a good jumping off point to do your own due diligence on the process. And obviously, it will be different in different countries. So if one of your goals is to manage other people's money, you know, maybe even millions of dollars of other people's money, then I think you'll find this episode very informative. I know I learned a couple of things. All right, so without further ado, here's my interview with Justin. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, today I have with me Justin and uh, I'll let him introduce himself and what he does. Well, thanks uh, for the introduction and for having me on the show, Hugh. I, uh, I appreciate it. Um, for everyone listening in, my name is Justin Hertzberg and I am the uh, president and CEO of Forest Park FX. And we are a CFTC registered NFA member introducing brokerage firm. Cool. Um, just to just to get started, what were you doing before you got into FX? Uh, well, like uh, like pretty much everyone out there, uh, I didn't start out in FX, and uh, I like to joke that I took a wrong turn somewhere <laughs> and uh, somehow ended up in FX. I actually started my career as an attorney. I was a securities ah. commercial litigator mm-hmm. um, for a large firm in Florida and uh, realized relatively early on in my legal career that I didn't want to be a lawyer in traditional practice for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and started to look for some more entrepreneurial uh, ventures. And uh, just the way timing worked out, I had an opportunity to work for a former FX fund manager who at his peak had about $750 million under management wow. and uh, got to learn the markets from him, got to learn the business of trading from him. And uh, it was a great experience. Uh, from there, I went and worked for a a boutique uh, broker dealer that specialized in order routing and execution for equities and equity options. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a great experience because it taught me a, a lot about everything that happens after a trader clicks buy or sell on his screen somewhere. You know How that order gets routed to someone on the other end of it and all the different uh, players and market participants uh, and technology that's involved with that. 
Uh, and I did that uh, up until uh, January of 2013. And uh, that's when I left and formed Forest Park. Uh, I wanted to get back into FX. Um, it was where I had my greatest comfort level, uh, the, the, I guess, highest level of knowledge and understanding, and uh, where I felt I could make the most difference. Uh, and uh, so we've, we've been running a little over three years now. Uh, the business has grown tremendously, and uh, we're, uh, you know, we're trying to do some exciting things and add value to traders along the way. Yeah, cool. That's a that's an interesting background, and uh, we'll definitely get into that stuff. Um, but one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show was because you're doing some interesting things on the B2B side with CTAs. And many people listening right now um, do want to become professional traders, and you know, a CTA might be one option. So can you kind of explain to people what a CTA is and the general process of getting that? Sure. So a CTA, for those who aren't familiar, stands for Commodity Trading Advisor. It is basically the uh, CFTC and NFA designation for a professional trader who is licensed and registered to uh, manage money for uh, investors in futures and FX. Um, there are really two types of uh, money management concepts. One is the managed account program where each client opens an account in his name and then signs a limited power of attorney giving trading authority to someone else, mm -hmm. uh, typically a CTA. That's the one uh, avenue. The other is a commodity pool, which is, uh, excuse me, more traditionally the, the sort of hedge fund concept where <clears throat> all investors actually pool their funds mm -hmm. and a commodity pool operator uh, acts as the money manager on those funds. Um, most, most, uh, at least in our experience, most people opt for the, the CTA designation, um, which means that you're managing accounts of other people. Uh, the requirements um, to become a CTA um, in very simplistic form are having passed the Series 3 and 34 exams uh, and having gone through the registration process with the NFA, mm -hmm. which includes fingerprint checks, background checks, and uh, other forms and levels of inquiry. And in most cases, it also involves having a an approved disclosure document. And the disclosure document is uh, where most of the scrutiny tends to lie. Um, and what this document is supposed to do is really give the investor all the information about the money manager <coughs> and the strategy and the risks and the potential conflicts so that the investor can make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is usually a 25 to 50 page document. Uh, it, it undergoes a lot of scrutiny. It has to be approved. It has to be updated on an annual basis or if there's ever a material change in the business and the way it's structured. <coughs> uh, and this is really where uh, the bulk of the regulation tends to focus is making sure the investor is properly informed. Okay, um, so why would somebody want to become a CTA? I mean, there's other options to you know manage maybe friends and family money or something like that. What are the advantages? Uh, great question. The the advantages are uh, that as a registered CTA, um, the money manager can be compensated for his work. Uh, he can charge uh, management fees, performance fees, per trade fees. Um, basically anything that's approved by the NFA in the disclosure document is something that the uh, 
the money manager can charge to his clients, his investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if if there's a burgeoning money manager out there who feels like uh, he can raise a significant amount of capital and generate sizable returns, or not sizable, but just returns, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's the potential upside and attractiveness of of being that professional money manager and uh, um, being able to make money on other people's money, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah, uh, that's that's always one of the big draws. And you you hear you know on CNBC or Bloomberg, you know, they bring on managers all the time, managing half a billion dollars, three billion dollars. If you think about just the fees that they could generate on a mediocre year, um, you're talking tens of millions of dollars. So there's always that that attraction to big money mm-hmm. uh, and prestige and ego that comes along with it. So the, those are usually the things that drive people uh, to, to pursue lofty lofty goals like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's uh, you know that's a, definitely a good goal to have to make that much money but it, you know if, if somebody wanted to do something else what are some other options that they can have to uh, manage money well listen everyone wants to to reach that level but everyone also started somewhere mm-hmm. <coughs> uh, and um, we, we work with a lot of burgeoning managers that that have a couple thousand dollars couple investors um, and they're trying to make it they're working hard to generate consistent returns, sort of turn that corner in terms of longevity, reputation, performance, uh, stability. And, uh, and it takes time and, and some very successful funds started with uh, very meager beginnings. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to my story, the, the fund manager that I uh, worked for, uh, he was a, an investment, you know, a trader at an investment bank for the majority of his career, about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And decided to go out form his own fund. He was his first investor with a million dollars, and uh, granted, that's not available to everyone. But um, he put in a million dollars and grew his fund to seven hundred and fifty million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it can happen from relatively small beginnings. Um, for those that are maybe contemplating uh, becoming a a CTA, um, but are you know, maybe not ready to make the commitment from a, a sort of a cost perspective, because there are dues that you have to pay the NFA to be a CTA. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just not convicted enough that they should be trading third-party money. Uh, there are sort of intermediate steps, uh, one of which is the concept of an exempt CTA, which uh, basically means that the money manager doesn't hold himself out to the public as a money manager. And what not holding oneself out means is you're not talking about at parties that you're a money manager. You don't have Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or websites that talk about you managing money. You don't, you don't hold yourself out to the public as a money manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't do that and you don't have more than 15 investors in any rolling 12-month period of time, you are uh, able to manage that sort of small circle of funds um, without being registered. And it's typically referred to as the friends and family exemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, those in your immediate network who entrust you to manage some funds for them or <clears throat> want to help you get started on your process of becoming a CTA and sort of give you that that first opportunity to, to manage money and build a track record and um, do all those things that are, are necessary to those that are actually going to make it as a CTA. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. That's, a, that's an excellent option for most people, I think. And if they can find just that one or two 
investor, uh, two, one or two investors that have you know a substantial amount of money, then that's a great start. Um, now, what about the U.S.? I know that's a big sticking point for a lot of people, and they they fail to get started maybe because you know U.S. regulations and all that stuff. So, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, the the, the U.S. regulations are are definitely challenging and and at times onerous. Uh, ultimately, they're there to maintain an orderly market and industry. Um, they're not so burdensome that that one can't remain compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're there to hold people accountable. They're there to hold managers accountable so that they don't go out um, promising things they can't deliver or talking about hypothetical performances if it's real. Um, it's 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 regulators are there to regulate. They want to make sure that uh, that your message is consistent with your disclosure documents. They want to make sure that you're not misleading investors. That you're held to a higher standard than someone who's operating outside of regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, again, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but there are you know there there's a certain uh, procedure that everyone has to go through to to get regulated and stay regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always fun, but it's <laughs> yeah. certainly manageable. We do it as an introducing broker. Um, you know, there are um, th- that's just the U.S. I'm sure you have plenty of listeners who are outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, every major jurisdiction has its own rules regarding uh, money managers and what types of requirements or licenses they need to satisfy uh, in order to hold that designation. Uh, brokers too themselves you know, read and interpret these uh, rules and regulations. Uh, not always the same way. They're written one way, but they're interpreted different ways by different brokers and really compliance officers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some brokers take certain uh, views on what they'll permit, what they won't permit. Uh, you know, in the U.S., for example, uh, the NFA has created this carve-out for exempt CTAs, but not a lot of FX brokers will allow exempt CTAs to manage funds mm. uh, because they find it difficult to ensure that uh, the client is staying within the parameters of what an exempt CTA is and <coughs> not um, not doing any of the things that a regulated CTA um, would be supervised on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, you know, from a risk perspective, some brokers don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, outside the U.S., uh, different brokers in the same jurisdiction under the same regulator will say that certain people can be money managers when others will say they can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain people will say you can manage money with us and let's say we're using a, a UK broker. Certain UK brokers will say you could be a money manager through us and use our technology and software, but you can't manage money for UK residents. Mm-hmm. You can manage money for people outside of the UK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, it, it comes down to regulation and broker interpretation of regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it uh, it it can vary <laughs> widely. Um, and there are still places where <coughs> completely unregistered people can manage funds for all types of investors, excluding U.S. residents, um, without really anything. Mm-hmm. Just uh, they just get papered that way, and they can onboard their own investors and trade, and the broker will administer it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's a little scary, but at the same time, it's an opportunity for some people who do it right. Um, of all the CTAs you work with and have talked to, how many have a traditional finance background, or is there a wide range of backgrounds? Uh, 
Um, it's a great question. I would say, <clears throat> I would say, ten years ago, if you were to talk to money managers and ask them what their background was, mm-hmm. they would say that they were <clears throat> had either worked for investment banks <clears throat> or proprietary trading firms um, or had some sort of you know mathematics background. Mm-hmm. Um, now you'll find that managers are coming really from any walk of life. Typically, the ones that come from the more traditional pedigree have access to deeper pockets and <laughs> and larger investor capital. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see a lot of money managers that have no formal background in trading or finance. Uh, we see a lot of engineers. We see a lot of professionals, but outside of the trading space, um, doctors, lawyers, um, engineers, like I said, <coughs> They're, even though they come from disparate backgrounds, I, I would say the common thread or theme um, is that the people who, who are successful treat money management like any other profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really the ones who are disciplined, who know how to put in effort, who can establish uh, time-tested routines that um, allow them to repeat positive behaviors over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's the same, same attributes that work for just good traders and the ones that cause others to fail. Um, if, uh, if you can sort of maintain that discipline and build those routines and do the same thing over and over and over again, that's really what leads to success as a money manager or a self-directed trader. Um, and, uh, yeah, one of the things that, that people really don't, <coughs> don't realize is, um, you know, Trading is not about making 700% a year or 3,000% a year. And you see all these email blasts that you probably get hit with. I know I get hit with probably yeah. 10 a day. <laughs> you know, the, Use this EA. It made 1,000 pips yesterday and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm sure it did. <clears throat> but it's most likely not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at some point, it will implode, uh, at least in, in my experience, in my opinion. Um, and really, the... The sexiest thing a money manager can do is just produce consistent returns month over month, year over year. And uh, I deal with some, you know, talk to some professional money managers um, in in lots of different asset classes. And generally speaking, if they could, if they could generate one percent a month in returns with less risk than the the S and P, for example, they would do obscenely well. Mm-hmm. They would have people throwing money at them. Mm-hmm. Because that's what institutional and real investors want. They want steady, consistent returns. They don't want big swings. They don't necessarily want a three thousand percent return. They just want to know that their money is safe and trusted, and with someone who is unemotional mm-hmm. about wins and losses, can just roll with the punches, can take the the last losing trade and put it out of their mind, and focus with a clear head on making the next trade and grinding out that return. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's. Uh, it's easy to say what those skills and attributes are. It's it's very hard in practice to to really be that unemotional, consistent day in day out type manager. And that's where a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of managers and a lot of traders falter. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Just out of curiosity, how many how many employees do these CTAs generally have? Typically, they're very small operations. Uh, we've worked, you know, I know personally a, a couple of managers, upwards of three quarters of a billion, over a billion dollars. Um, their operations are small. Um, 
I would say the largest was probably 15 people. Wow. Um, most can get by with three, four, maybe five. Mm-hmm. Uh, because really, <laughs> there's only so much activity that's going on. Uh, and, and there's primarily three or four hats that have to be worn, roles that have to be filled. You need your, your trader, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you want to do is surround that trader with people who can help with the other tasks and needs of the business that would otherwise distract the trader from focusing on the market. So you need someone that can help with um, <coughs> sort of operations. You know, who's running the business of the of the, the fund? Mm-hmm. Um, you need someone usually in administration, someone who's helping with the onboarding of new investors, getting their accounts open, their paperwork in, the funds in, the LPOA signed, getting it attached to the manager's account. You need someone who's kind of moving that ball around. You, you typically have someone who handles compliance. Mm-hmm. This might be an in-house person or uh, yeah, outhouse counsel that's retained. Uh, but that's really the core. Uh, the rest of it is just need-based as the business grows, as the um, as the, the the needs of the the trader evolve. You know, maybe he's running a twenty-four-hour trading desk, so he needs people to cover the Asian session. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you start to expand with very, very specified roles. Uh, but it really doesn't take a lot of people to to run some of these uh, entities which are managing tremendous amounts of capital. Huh, interesting. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, do you have a favorite trader or investor by any chance? Uh, I don't have a, a favorite. I, I am an admirer of people who have skills that are greater than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... Uh, just as a quick aside, I have zero musical or artistic ability whatsoever, and I often find myself marveling at these people who have these gifts and can do things that, no matter how hard I studied or tried, I could never do it in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, the same is true for uh, for traders. There's a, a number of people that I look up to. Uh, there's a number of people who I follow for their uh, guidance and, and advice and trade ideas. Uh, but generally, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm overly committed or invested with any one particular trader. I like to to really have a, a broad base of people that I get to talk to and learn about the way that they see the market. And even though I won't be able to see it exactly the way they do, uh, being exposed to it helps me you know, improve my my own trading and, and my understanding of the, the needs and wants and opportunities for traders and managers out there. Uh, I would say a lot of the, the traders that we talk to fall into the um, sort of the longer term or I could say intermediate to long term style of trading. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have a tremendous gift of sitting on their hands, <laughs> basically not forcing trades when the market isn't cooperating with them, mm-hmm. uh, not sort of like doubling down on a loss to try to make up for what just happened. They're very, very patient, <coughs> waiting for uh, their opportunities to arise and they tend to be of the the intermediate to long-term variety, mm-hmm. um, kind of where the technicals and fundamentals align for some larger opportunity. Uh, but at the same time, we speak with a number of people who are uh, often algorithmic short-term traders who um, have a, an ability not just to identify uh, short-term fleeting opportunities in the market, uh, but to build code to capitalize on as many of them as they can identify. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of these people can take 400 trades a day. Uh, 
and uh, they they have found something just like the longer term traders have. They've they've identified an edge and opportunity in the market, and the goal is to take every one of those opportunities and exploit it as as much as they possibly can. Uh, so we really, in my experience, I'm fortunate in the position and the, the role that I play within Forest Park to have exposure to a lot of different people with a lot of different trading styles, <coughs> and and to listen and learn about what they do. Uh, oftentimes, they're very guarded about their proprietary processes. Uh, oh yeah, I'm but sure. you still you can still pick up on a little bit of what they do, and mm-hmm. and it's it's fascinating. It it's the it's it's part of what uh, uh, kind of gets me excited every time I have an opportunity to speak with and work with a new trader or money manager, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm always learning in the process and uh, and uh, I just uh, I applaud people who are that uh, creative about seeing a market yet seeing it differently than you or I and just about everyone else is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, for sure. I mean, so I, get, I get excited about that too, just talking to people on the podcast. Yeah, I, I imagine <laughs> right. And, and your role is specifically uh, bringing in such a, a wide variety of, of traders and, and hearing who they are and their story and their process, you, you definitely get that exposure. And uh, we really do the same in, in our business. Okay, cool. Uh, what do you feel is the biggest misconception about your business, the brokerage business? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, one of the one of the misconceptions we deal with all the time is um, <coughs> sort of, sort of addresses the conspiracy nuts out there that uh, brokers are stop loss hunting and actively trading against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was definitely the case years ago mm-hmm. with with the advent of online retail FX trading, um, where there was not a lot of transparency uh, between brokers and. Uh, and the way that brokers conducted their business. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that's really not the case with most of the regulated uh, brokers out there. Uh, we're seeing a, a lot of brokers now move to an ECN model, uh, essentially, or an STP model for those that are specific, uh, basically meaning straight through processing, um, where the the broker is not taking the other side of your trade. You're, they're not the counterparty. They're just passing through liquidity that they're aggregating from other sources. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, they're usually just charging a commission or a markup per trade, and that's the only way that they make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still work with a couple dealing desk firms where they are the counterparty to every trade that you place, but those firms are not targeting Q or they're not targeting Justin mm-hmm. and manipulating spreads and, and prices uh, to go after our stop losses and, and cause us to lose money. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> they're typically aggregating all of the flow from all of their clients and ending up with a certain risk position and then figuring out how they're going to manage that aggregate risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but frankly, they don't really care about you or me in particular. Um, we're just a, a tiny drop in a very large bucket of trade activity mm-hmm. and risk that they're managing. Uh, so I would say you know, that's one of the misconceptions that your broker is, is out to get you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are still some in the world that that uh, do that, we are very, very careful not to work with those brokers. Um, we do a pretty good job of uh, protecting our clients' capital and providing a fair and uh, equitable trading environment. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that used to be a huge problem, but uh, nowadays, as long as you reg- go with a regulated broker, shouldn't be too much of a problem, or not at all, actually. Um, so what kind of products or services aren't in the marketplace right now that you would like to see? 
Well, some of the things we're working on are uh, technology-based. Uh, we're trying to uh, create certain um, turnkey solutions for traders that uh, we think addresses and meets a need, like uh, uh, turnkey VPS solutions where clients can receive a VPS that's preloaded with the EA that they want to run, mm -hmm. or um, even turnkey trade copying technology to make uh, that that available to those that want to um, disseminate trades or copy trades from other sources. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we're working on some things like that. We're um, we're really uh, trying to be proactive yet yet reactive to um, what we what we're hearing in terms of feedback from from clients and brokers about you know what their needs are, what their wish lists are, and then trying to say, okay, this is this is what we're hearing. This is what we're getting. What can we do in a in a fully compliant and transparent way that will address this need, even if it doesn't exist? Sometimes it, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to get a couple of different entities, brokers, technology providers, and so on to work together and do something. But sometimes we have to develop something that doesn't exist, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to evolve. With the market as uh, as the needs of uh, FX traders change. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That sounds like some interesting stuff. Um, I was hoping you could also talk about rebates and how they relate to money management. Um, so, how uh, first of all, what are rebates? Uh, why do brokers offer them? And then, how can money managers le leverage them in their business? Uh, good question. Uh, so, for those who have never been to our site or heard about us. Uh, one of the things that we do for our clients is offer uh, cashback rebates. Uh, essentially, it's a way for us to reduce the client's cost of trading and make it cheaper for them to trade with the broker they would otherwise choose than if they went to that broker directly. Uh, essentially, as an introducing broker, we're compensated by the the brokers out there, say OANDA, FXCMForex.com, for example. We're compensated by them out of the spread or commission that they otherwise charge their clients um, for introducing those clients to them. And in turn, we share that compensation with our clients uh, as, a, as a way to reduce their cost of trading. Uh, and it's a great tool for, for a lot of clients. It helps uh, newer traders and veteran traders uh, sort of uh, lean out their returns a little bit. The, you know, the, the losing months are not that not as painful in the the winning months are enhanced by uh, some cashback rebates from us, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a it's a great and popular program among uh, our clients. Um, there are some uh, some money managers out there that often like uh, or want to get cashback rebates if they um, you know run their business through you and their clients through you. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> there's an inherent conflict of interest with that where. A money manager really should be compensated on on two things, in my opinion. It should be a management fee, which should be small, basically mm -hmm. something to help kind of keep the lights on, mm -hmm. and then a performance fee, which is the put your money where your mouth is. If you're going to be a manager, you should really only make your money if you're successful for your investors. Mm -hmm. um, there are some money managers that want per trade compensation. Hmm. That that raises a potential conflict of interest because now the money manager is compensated on trading volume and has an incentive to churn an account 
that doesn't necessarily benefit the investor. Mm -hmm. So we're very careful about uh, those types of arrangements. Uh, really, we frown upon it. And uh, typically in, in a situation where a CTA would like to receive per trade compensation, um, what we would recommend is uh, working with a broker that will allow us to sort of roll in uh, our our rebate that we would otherwise pay investors, but sort of put it back into the spread to to lower the total cost of trading from the outset. Mm -hmm. And that has the indirect benefit of benefiting the manager by because lower transaction costs will mean larger management fees and larger performance fees. Uh, but it doesn't provide that benefit to the manager at the expense of the investor. It actually helps the investor the most mm -hmm. uh, by keeping that investor's cost of trading down. Um, so everyone's interests remain aligned. And so that's typically what we like to do um, for money managers that would otherwise prefer per trade compensation. I see. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, what's the hardest part about the brokerage business? <laughs> Uh, the brokerage business is constantly changing. Uh -huh. That is um, that is really, in, in a very simple 30,000-foot view, um, it is never the same. Uh, what work looked like on Monday of this week is not what work will look like Monday of next week. <laughs> uh, the situations in, with brokers are changing constantly. Margin requirements, spreads, commissions... Um, Regulations are changing quite frequently now. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the needs of clients change literally hour to hour, day to day. Um, there's always there's always something in flux mm -hmm. that um, really causes you to have to be uh, malleable and, and able to adapt to a changing environment. Uh, and so that's that's the toughest thing is is just not getting complacent and thinking what you're doing today is going to work a year from now. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure you keep your finger on the pulse of the industry in terms of what's happening with brokers, what's happening with technology, what's happening with regulation, and trying to stay ahead of the curve, trying to uh, adjust to all the changes that are thrown at us. Um, and uh, and I, I would say it's not unlike any other business or profession. You have to be uh, malleable and, and accepting of change that's that's inevitable mm -hmm. uh, I just think in this business it, it it comes about quite frequently so um, you really have to be on your toes and uh, even as a, as a broker introducing broker trader you just can't check out mentally you really have to show up every day um, focused and aware of what's going on in the world around you mm, yeah it makes a lot of sense um I really like your tagline, helping traders go green. So we talked a little bit about some of the rebates and stuff like that, but how else do you help traders um, trade better? Uh, I'm glad you like the tagline. I've, I've had people over the years ask me, so like, what are you doing? Are you like paperless? You know, is that what going green means? I was like, no, it's, it's more for like, you know, green, like, you know, being positive with your trading. Um, but our, our, our big value proposition, uh, rebates aside, is, is really trying to help the client sort of find the right brokerage solution for his trading objectives. Mm -hmm. um, and really one of the founding tenets of this business is that not every broker is right for every trader. And um, I've had countless conversations with people and I'll ask you, so who do you trade with? And they'll say, well, I'm 
I'm with XYZ Broker. And I'll say, well, why did you choose XYZ Broker? And they'll say, well, my my brother's best friend's father's dog walker is a big FX trader. <laughs> and uh, he says XYZ Broker is the best one. So I went with them. Mm-hmm. And that might have been the, the right broker for the dog walker, but it's not necessarily the right broker for you. Mm-hmm. And understanding the differences between a broker in terms of pricing, execution, um, pricing models, execution models, technology platforms that are uh, available, service level, um, uh, tools and resources, um, and, and, and let's say compatible third-party technology that might be integrated or not integrated with a particular broker. Um, all of those different variables really affect what the right place is for a particular trader and a particular strategy. Mm-hmm. And we've done a lot of work to understand the differences between the brokers and our number one priority is to try to position our clients for success. And uh, if we put them with the right broker, they have the greatest likelihood of success in our opinion. And that means that uh, hopefully they will have success and they'll be a longer client, longer term client of ours and mm-hmm. hopefully say good things and refer some, some new business to us. Um, so we, we, we definitely try to, try to help them choose the right broker. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, we also work with uh, a lot of third-party providers and different understanding the different types of technology that's available, um, trying to help a trader integrate all the different things that he's looking to do. There's a lot of people that want to run EAs or develop EAs or um, develop code and, and algorithms on other platforms, and some have you know they all have varying levels of capability and skill set. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of times we have clients who have an algo in their head that they want to put to code, uh, well, we'll make an introduction to a developer that can help them. Um, sometimes it's just technical support. They need help installing an EA, finding a VPS, loading a VPS, uh, really whatever the client needs. Uh, we, we try to be a very high-touch, full-service firm. Uh, and if we, if we do our job well, uh, we enable the client to spend more of his time focused on the markets and less on all of the administrative and noise that that comes along with actually having a trading account. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's really what we try to do is keep their lives simple. And that goes for self-directed traders or money managers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, it fills a, a niche in the market, I believe. And a lot of people just need that little bridge or that one introduction that will help them out, right? Yeah, and, and a lot of times it's just having uh, having a trusted voice um, out there. Mm-hmm. We know the industry very well. We've been in it a while, uh, and we can help traders sort of navigate that minefield and uh, and and just get the answer that they need without spending hours trying to research it and and hopefully not go down the wrong path. Um, you know, we try to we try to steer our clients in in the direction of what's going to be best for their trading what's regulated, what's reputable, uh, where we can offer them you know, protection and support and know that they're going to get a fair and uh, equitable trading environment uh, to operate in. So um, it's, it's all the things around trading. We leave the trading decisions to them, but everything that's uh, attendant to that or incident to that, we really want to help them as best we can. What's the biggest mistake you see amateur traders making? Uh, I would say that they, are, they suffer from multiple personalities. Um, going back to our earlier conversation about 
what the attributes of successful traders. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that a lot of the traders who fail wake up on a Monday and they go, you know what, I'm a I'm a swing trader. And then on Tuesday morning they wake up and they go, you know what, I really want to be a scalper. <laughs> and then on uh, on on Wednesday they go, I, you know, I'm too emotional. I need to be an algorithmic trader. Mm-hmm. And they they change who they are every single day. Uh, there are so many different ways to make money as a trader, so many different strategies that can be successful. Mm-hmm. It really is just about finding something that resonates with you and then developing a, a trading plan and a risk management plan around that strategy and then fine-tuning it day in, day out, and just making that strategy as effective as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we... It's sort of the old adage, you know, if you're a jack of all trades, you're a master of none. Mm-hmm. And and really, if if traders could focus more on uh, on just one strategy that they think they can be successful with, uh, that's that's typically the, the first step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, it's just a lot of discipline and stick to um, and and persevering, even though you might have a couple days of drawdown or a couple months of drawdown. Uh, if you really believe in what you're doing and you know it can work and will work over time, you just have to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Well, Justin, I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know this is actually our second uh, interview. The first one, we had some technical difficulties. So I appreciate you coming back and um, talking to me. But before we go, I was wondering about your future plans. Do you have any interesting projects on the horizon? <laughs> we are we are always uh, working on some new uh some new things. Like I said, we, we try to be both proactive and reactive to the needs of our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, always looking to do things above board and uh, fully compliant. But we were, we're working on some things that I think uh, have the potential to, to shake up the norm a little bit. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little close to the vest on some of those uh, as they are still more or less in the works from a compliance and regulatory perspective. But um, we are... We are trying to, as much as possible, address the needs of the market, uh, of the of the traders in the market, I should say, mm-hmm. and um, and we're we're close on a couple of things that I think could be uh, uh, could be quite uh, interesting and newsworthy um, for the uh, for the the average retail trader. Mm-hmm. Um, can't really get into it, unfortunately, <laughs> on, on this call, but. Um, but hopefully we'll we'll make some news about it in the near term. Okay, cool. Well, we look forward to seeing that. Um, where can people find out more about you? Um, clients uh, can go and or interested people can go and visit our website. It's uh, forestparkfx.com. So that's forest like the trees, F-O-R-E-S-T, park, P-A-R-K, fx.com. Uh, and you can read all about who we are, the brokers uh, we introduce clients to, uh, if anyone wants to contact me directly, uh, my number is 561-922-7616. Um, and we're we're really a, a, a high-touch service firm, like I said. Um, all of our clients have my my email, my direct office line, my cell, my Skype handle, my fax number. Uh, all, the, all the same ways my wife can get a hold of me, uh, <laughs> client can get a hold of me. So uh, if anyone's interested in learning more about who we are or getting in touch, I, I really hope they come through the site, send us a form through the site, or or give me a call, or um, I don't know if you post my contact information somewhere on your site, I'm more than happy to share it. 
but uh, would, would encourage anyone who's got questions about what we do or how we might be able to help them to reach out. Yeah, I'll post all that information in the show notes of this podcast um, at tradingheroes.com. And again, Justin, thank you very much. And I look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Thanks, Hugh, for the opportunity. Really appreciate the time. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Trading Lifestyle Podcast. To listen to all of the other episodes and get free access to Forex trading tools, tutorials, and resources, visit tradingheroes.com.